here. Um, so uh, really good to have you all here with us. Good to have other, we've got a, a bunch of other visitors here, I guess uh, folks who just couldn't get enough of the Jubilee and wanted to stay for an extra couple days here. So got a chance to, uh, um, to spend some time with the clerics uh, tonight. Good to have you all here with us. And Preacher is in Shelby, Alabama, which is the Horton's church. Brother Hunter, you all know Hunter Horton, right? I believe it's his dad's church that he's in over in Shelby. How close is Shelby to Andalusia? <laughs> is anything close to anything in Alabama? Seems like, seems like everything is a piece. <laughs> they call it a piece, right? So that's why when you moved here, you were like, we're going to move about an hour and a half away from church. That way we're pretty close. <laughs> right. <laughs> Amen. All right. Wednesday night. Y'all, y'all glad to be in church on Wednesday night? It's a blessing to be here. And uh, whatever, whatever happened today, I heard somebody out in the foyer um, said, man, it's been a day. I said, it, it feels like it's been two or three days <laughs> today. And whatever happened today, just, just forget about it for a little while. We'll get in the Bible. This will be like comfort food tonight, you know, get uh, some pizza and macaroni and cheese and maybe a little bit of meat on it. So, all right, Colossians chapter number four. This is, we're wrapping up the book of Colossians here, and we're going to go ahead and um, preach this last part and then just do kind of a review over the book. Uh, It's been a great blessing to me to be able to study through it. It's a privilege to be able to to be in preacher's pulpit and uh, to teach and to preach here. So I, I appreciate your listening and attentiveness to, to it and the privilege to be able to do it. Let's start in verse number seven. All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you. So at the end of Colossians here, he's gone through all kinds of different things. We'll talk about it a little bit, but he's about to wrap this up with some salutations. They do salutations or they did salutations at the end of a letter, an epistle like we would do them at the beginning. We would start a letter these days and say, how are you? How are your kids? How is your family? How's life? Get down to business. They got down to business, and at the end, it was, how are you, and how's your family, and how's life? So that's what this last part of the passage is here. All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, uh, one of you, and that's... Uh, Right there, just like he, it seems like he probably sent the book of Philemon right along at the same time as he sent the book of Colossians here. Um, that whole Philemon and uh, Onesimus issue that was happening in the, earth, uh, the, the church of uh, Colossae here. I was going to preach on it a little bit, but Brother Lance preached through the book of Philemon, so I'm not even going to go into all that. Um, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Uh, verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas. You heard a little bit about him at the Jubilee. That's Marcus and Barnabas. That's the, they had the kind of church split there. Paul and, Paul and Barnabas did over, over Mark. Touching whom you receive commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. So they've got, they're, I guess, back in fellowship here um, at this time. And then verse 11, Jesus, which is called Justice. Uh, that name Jesus was very common. It's kind of meant, it's kind of like hearing the name Joshua. Um, Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus. There's a lot of like uh, folks who are Mexican. It's a very popular name uh, among uh, folks who are Mexican. You hear Jesus, and so there's there were people named Jesus back then. Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision. These only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. Uh, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ. So Epaphras is one of the people that were there at uh, at Colossae there. 
Uh, a servant of Christ saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that he may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. And I will say, I know you're standing, but I will say as I'm kind of going through this, that there's nothing quite like someone who is one of you that, that knows you, has a burden for you. I was talking to the clerics at dinner tonight, and they said, we love coming down here to Jacksonville, but our heart is so much up there in Idaho, in Sandpoint, Idaho, that we just want to get back there and get back to our people. And that's kind of what I see here with Epaphras, and that's when a preacher goes out and preaches for other folks, but he gets back, he's like, man, it's just a blessing being back home. This is where his heart is. You are where his heart is. You are, you're the people that God has called him to minister to and to feed. So that's a lot what you're seeing here, I think, with Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you, and them that are in Laodicea, and them in Hierapolis. Now, Laodicea and Hierapolis are uh, two churches that are very close, I think just a few miles away from each other, Colossae, just a few miles away. Um, so uh, Epaphras apparently is going to all of these churches and helping all of them. You'll notice that Laodicea is there. We're going to come back to that. Luke, the beloved physician, and that is the one who wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And Demas, greet you. And that is the infamous Demas from over in Timothy, where it says, Demas, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Notice he says all kinds of great things about every person. This one's a beloved servant. This one's my fellow prisoner. This one's this one. This one's that one. The Luke is the beloved physician. And he says, and Demas. There may have been something already going on there, but Paul did not have any commendations for Demas at this point, even though he had not left at that point. But I don't know if Paul was eyeing him at this point or wondered, see, saw that he already had, a, you know, one foot out the door. Um, but I don't know. That's kind of uh, speculation. But it's strange that he's the only one that they didn't really, um, he didn't really say anything kind about there. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea, Nymphus, the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, um, cause it to be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read this epistle from, uh, this epistle from Laodicea. Likewise, read the epistle from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Now, when he says the salutation by the hand of me, Paul, what he means there is that he's transcribing or he's, he's dictating this entire book to someone who's writing it down, who's, who's, who's transcribing his words. And then he takes the letter at the end and puts his own hand on it so they can see this actually was authentically something from Paul. He would kind of sign it himself. He does it over in Galatians as well. I might talk about that in a minute here. The, the salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. Brother Broussard, would you open us in prayer, please, sir? Amen. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. So he says, salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Um, and in Galatians, he says, you see how large a letter I've written unto you with mine own hand. That's Galatians, right, Brother Broussard? And a lot of times folks will say that that is some type of proof that Paul had maybe some eye trouble. Um, they'll say that his, when he says, you see how large a letter I've written, Galatians is not a very large letter. So he's saying it's possible that Large a letter meaning, meaning I've written it with my own hand. It's, a very, it's very large because I have bad eyesight, and he's writing in very large script. 
That's what a lot of folks say. That's very possible. Uh, it's very possible. You've studied that out. Do you, think, do you think that's probably what's going on there? Do you connect that to the thorn in the flesh? Okay, so the thorn in the flesh where he says, God's given me a thorn in the flesh. Um, it's, it, it's what Brother Broussard uh, teaches out of that. And it's very, very probable that that's true is that it's the thorn in the flesh may have been some type of eye trouble. He's having some type of problems with his eyes. He's having bad vision. Um, I don't know. I, a lot of folks have eye trouble. Can you imagine living back then when they didn't have glasses? I mean, if you, they didn't have glasses, how many of y'all would, 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 not, would be in trouble if they didn't have glasses here? <laughs> there you go. Okay, so he may have had some type of, uh, some type of eye trouble um, that he was dealing with there. He prayed the Lord would take it away from him. That, that may be what it was. But anyway, he signed the letter there with his own hands. He said, grace be with you. Amen. It says, remember my bonds. It was written. Some of you may have a note. If you have a Cambridge Bible, you may have a, do you have a note in the bottom of it that says written from Rome? And you have like a footnote at the end of it. Now, that is not scripture. That's not, you know, a, that's not a, a scriptural thing. But uh, those notes are typically real good. Um, those, were, those were put in there by the, by the uh, Cambridge uh, printers. And it says, written from Rome to the Colossians by Tychicus and Onesimus. So he says, written by these people. In other words, Tychicus and Onesimus are writing it down. Paul's dictating it. The way these letters were written is Paul is sitting in jail and he's, he's telling these folks uh, what to write down. They're writing it down and they're taking it out. But they're also making all kinds of copies of it. So if you look at the book of Colossians, you're going to notice a lot of, uh, a lot of connections with the book of Ephesians. Okay, so you'll see Ephesians, you'll see about, uh, things about like the, the, the one body of Christ, the mystery of the one body of Christ, uh, the, the unity of the body of Christ, all kinds of different things that are similar in the book of Ephesians as are in the book of Colossians. It's very possible that they were written to close, to, close together. It's very possible that they were written about the same time. It's very possible that Ephesians was written as what they call a circular. That is, they, that Paul would write it and they would make a bunch of copies of it. And then he would address it to different churches and say and put uh, you know to the Ephesians at the top of one letter and then write a few things at the bottom of that letter, send that out to Ephesus, and then you take another copy of the same thing and write this is to the Laodiceans and then sign it at the bottom of it as well and then send that out to Laodicea. This is to the church in Hierapolis or however you pronounce that and the you know to the, put that at the top and then sign it at the bottom of it and send that out as well. That's. How a lot of that um, got out, and what happens is the church, over the years, as they start to gather these things together, they start to gather these books, and the Holy Spirit is confirming and saying, this is Scripture. This is Scripture. So, it's not necessarily just, you know, it's, we, we think of Scripture as being something that is like dictated by God into the ears of the writers, but that's not how it, that's not how it was. It wasn't like a mechanical dictation where Paul's sitting there. He's got a pen, heavenly light shines on him, and he hears a voice, and the, the voice of the Lord says, write verse, verse 1, verse 1, Lord, and then he hears it. That's not how it is. How it was, was he prayed, he studied the scriptures, he saw what was needed, he wrote a book, and he most likely even edited that book. He most likely even made some, you know, like tightened it up and tightened it up and tightened, you know, Tychicus, read that back to me. No, change that to this and no, change that back to this. And he's praying about it. And should I say this or should I say that? He's praying about it back and forth. And the Holy Spirit is guiding him and directing him. And then he sends that out. And the people of the church, Colossae, they copy it and copy it and copy it. Other folks see it. And the church looks at it. And the Holy Spirit is saying to the Christians, that is scripture. That is holy scripture. Now, what about the, the epistle to Laodicea? Because he says in this, 
read the epistle of Laodicea. Why, is it, why wasn't Laodicea in our Bible? Because maybe it was something that God did not want in the Bible. Maybe it was just like this book or similar to this book. Or maybe God just didn't want an epistle to Laodicea in his Bible. There's all kinds of different things, but that's, that's up to the Holy Spirit telling the church, this is scripture. Hold on to this. So God used the church, the early church, to confirm what scripture was. He didn't use popes to do this. It wasn't a top-down thing. It was a bottom-up thing. It was where someone would stand up and read, and you're going, every single word of that is like the Holy Spirit is ringing in my ears. Every single word. Now, you may hear some other books that are spiritual. You may read some other books that are really good books. Really good books. But it's got parts of it that are like, eh, that's, that, was, that was not written. That wasn't all the Holy Spirit guiding that. And so those books kind of go by the wayside. You know, Pilgrim's Progress is one that has helped many, many people. But it's got a lot of stuff in there about lordship salvation. It's not scripture. There's a lot of stuff in there that's not really um, biblically right. So there's some things that are kind of, they get close to being just very holy kind of books, but they're not. They're not. Um, so that's how we end up getting our Bible. It's a little bit of how we end up getting our Bible. And as a result, Paul says, read this epistle to the church that's at Laodicea. And read the epistle that I wrote to Laodicea at this church in Colossae. What we can take out of that is... Well, what can you think about with that? Whatever it was that Colossae had going on had a lot of similarities to what was going on in Laodicea, right? So Paul said, the same things that they're dealing with that I wrote them about in Laodicea, that will be helpful to the people in Colossae. It's the same type of problems that are going on, the same type of lessons that they need to learn, and vice versa. Now, why is that interesting to us? Because what church period are we living in? Turn over to Revelation chapter 2. We are living in what a dispensationalist will call a church period of Laodicea. Now you say, Brother Sam, what do you, don't you mean the church age? The church age is the greater church time from the time the church starts to the time the church is carried out in the rapture is the church age. But a dispensationalist, or Clarence Larkin, in his in Rightly Dividing the Truth, and this is what we will, we completely agree with this. This is very, this is very good doctrine. We'll say that there are seven individual church periods throughout history. You can look throughout church history and see how the church has changed over the past 2,000 years. Some of the major uh, good things that, that each church uh, time period had going for it and some of the major negative things that each church time period had going for it. So what they'll point out, and what we will point out here in Revelation 2 and 3, is that there are seven churches that Jesus Christ speaks to through John. And these seven churches are seven historical churches. Okay, So that's the first thing to know. Look at uh, Revelation chapter number 2. Verse 1, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, that's Jesus Christ there. And then he has something to say unto that church at Ephesus. You all have read this before, right? You've seen this? So that is a historical church. It was a church that actually was there 
um, at the time that John was writing, it was like a, a church in someone's house or in a synagogue or in some kind of building, some kind of area there. They would gather together. It was a body of believers that was there that had these specific issues. And then if you look down at verse number, keep going to verse number oh, uh, 8, unto the angel of the church in Smyrna, right? These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works, thy tribulation, thy poverty, but thou art rich. So he's addressing this specific church that was in Smyrna, which is an area over in Asia, Asia Minor. And then he's going to say it again. There's seven of these churches. There's Thyatira. Uh, there's Pergamos. Where is Pergamos? Do you all see it there? Twelve. Okay. Uh, Thyatira. Do you all see Thyatira? Eighteen. And then there's Sardis. Do you see Sardis? It's chapter 3, verse 1. And then what comes after Sardis? Do you see the next church after Sardis? Philadelphia in chapter 3, verse 7. And then the, the, the last church there in chapter 3, verse 14, Laodicea. So what we, what we have seen now looking back over church history is that not only were these specific churches that were there in history, but the issues that these churches had are eerily similar to issues that the church as a whole has had over the church period. So it's very, uh, it's, why, so you say, why is that interesting? Well, we, first of all, we can tell what the spirit of the age is that we're living in. We can see, okay, let's look at kind of where we are in church history, and we can be warned as to what we really need to watch out for, especially in the time period that we're living in the church. Also, it's a blessing because Laodicea is the very last one. Amen. Look at what happens in chapter 4, verse 1. Revelation 4, 1. After this, after Laodicea, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. Amen. And the first voice uh, which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither. Amen. So there's a rapture right at the end of the Laodicean church letter. So that's a blessing to me. That ought to be a blessing to you too. Amen. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? So we ought to be able to say, although it is miserable living in Laodicea, and man, it would have been a much better thing as a Christian to live in Philadelphia, we may get out in the rapture here. We may, we may the folks sitting in this building here may have a privilege that no other Christians before us had to be alive and caught up and the rapture. Now, everybody will be caught up. That's, that's saved. will be caught up. But what joy, what delight should we go without dying? <laughs> no sickness, no sadness, no sorrow and crying. Caught up through the clouds with the Lord and the glory. Yeah. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're looking for. And it's very possible, folks. It's very possible that we will not die. This group in here will see the rapture of we'll see the rapture without dying. And we'll be able to walk through heaven, walk through eternity and say, never died. Never had to use the funeral plot, the prepaid funeral plan. Never had to use it. Got a refund for my pre prepaid funeral plot. Never had to buy me a casket. Hmm. That's a that's a blessing, isn't it? That's very possible. Very, very possible. Matter of fact, uh, it's very possible that it's coming very, very soon. Because not only are we in Laodicea, but we are a long way into Laodicea. We're a couple hundred years into Laodicea. 
And these church periods, I wish I could tell you we know exactly how long each one lasts. Because then we could really nail it down. (laughs) Each one lasts 190 years, and we are on year 189. I wish I could say that, but that's not just not the case. You, I'd like to go through them really quickly here. We're going to end at 8 o'clock, so I'm just kind of doing a little Bible study as we're going through this here. Uh, but Ephesus was the first church, and it was in danger of losing its first love. Um, that's the one where it said, uh, where Jesus says to them, I have somewhat against thee because I was left thy first love. That is, they were doing good works. They were working, you know, everybody had a job in the church. But they, they had left their first love, which is sad because that was the very first church. When I think of Ephesus, I think of like apostles are in that church. This is the book of Colossians that we're reading. These people that were reading the book of Colossians were living in the church period of Ephesus. And the danger that they had back then in this, in this church period was they're, they're doing all kinds of work for God. They've got apostles around. They've got all kinds of different people. And they are still, they're, they're still they're starting to leave their first love. They're starting to leave their love for Jesus Christ and have it be just some works that they're doing. Just some action that they're doing. So that was Ephesus. Smyrna is the second church. And this takes place, if you look in history, this is a persecuted church. Smyrna, it's that, that's, that you hear that word myrrh in there, Smyrna. And that word myrrh has a lot to do with death and martyrdom. There were a lot of martyrs in this period. And so when we look back in church history, right after Ephesus, there's a period of martyrdom that's happening in the early Roman church. So that is most likely what this time period is. It's kind of that early Roman church persecution. If you go into preacher's office, y'all ever seen the picture in preacher's office of the Christians in the Colosseum? Have you seen that? That's Smyrna. Okay, that's Smyrna. That's after Ephesus, and these people are being persecuted by Rome. The next one after that is Pergamos. Pergamos, there is a union that happens there. And that matches up really well with the union that the church uh, gets in with Constantine. So about 325 or so uh, AD, Constantine comes in. He becomes a ruler of Rome. And he says, let's stop persecuting these Christians. There's starting to be more Christians than there are uh, pagans. And the more we persecute these Christians, the more they grow. Praise the Lord. Um, there's sayings that, you know, the, the, the Lord grew the church by the, with the blood of the martyrs, grew, you know, grew the early church. So what Constantine did is he said, if you can't beat them, join them. He gets them all together and then merges the church with paganism. And so that's where you start to see the, the beginnings of the Catholic church. You see the beginnings of the, the Holy Roman church, which is... Neither holy nor Roman nor church. <laughs> but it's like the beginnings of, the, of that church happens in this time period. It's 325 to a few hundred years after that. Okay? So after that, you get Thyatira. Thyatira is where there are the, it talks about the doctrines of Balaam permeating the church. This has a lot to do with when Catholic doctrines really started coming in. Um, you start getting uh, baptismal regeneration. Uh, being taught, and you start getting works salvation being taught to the church, not just from the Jews and the Judaizers, but the church itself is teaching works for salvation. And I, know, I see some of you taking notes. If you want my notes after this, I'll give them to you, um, so you can so you can get these. Um, Sardis comes after Thyatira. Anyway, Thyatira really is kind of the Dark Ages, and it's a it's a test it's a testament. You know, by their works ye shall know them. If you have a church that gets birthed and born and takes over the world and they call it the Dark Ages, that's a problem. <laughs> I mean, that's a problem. 
Um, and that's what happened with the Catholic Church. Grew and spread all over the West, and it was a, a serious issue. That was um, Thyatira. They, they mixed pa uh, pagan religion in with, um, with uh, Christianity. Merry Christmas in, in a month, by the way. Um, so, that was a joke. <laughs> Happy Easter, Merry Christmas. It's, it's just paganism mixed in with, hey, listen, I like, I like Christmas. I like all that stuff. But that's where it came from. That's where it came from. Um, so much so that in the beginnings of this church, we said, let's not celebrate Christmas. And we kind of, you know, came off that a little bit and said, okay, we know it's, uh, we're not going to celebrate it their way, but we're not, we don't really go, in, go all in on it. That's why you don't see Christmas trees in here. Because it's still kind of like, eh, that's a little too pagan for us. You know, we'll put up some greenery or something that's pretty. We'll put some whatever. But you're not going to see any Yule logs in here. That's paganism. That's like literally winter solstice stuff. Go into the woods and drag the log into the fire and deck the tree. That's Jeremiah stuff. I mean, that's like, y'all have seen that, right? So that's where that came from. It came from that mixing of pagan, paganism in with the church. That's Thyatira. Um, we've, you know, we've got a good balance on that, I believe, here. Um, but we still don't do Easter eggs in Easter. <laughs> that's why. It's a little too pagan. It's a little too pagan. Um, then you get to Sardis, which is kind of the end of the, of the uh, Dark Ages, before the Reformation, that's when you start to see the, the, the beginnings of the early Reformation. You start to see Wycliffe and you see these people and you're starting to see a lot of martyrs again. People who are saying, hey, there's something wrong with the church. Something wrong with this church. Now, let me be clear. The, the, the true Bible-believing church has been going since the beginning. It's been going since the beginning. So it's not that we had the situation where the Catholic Church was the only church and then we protested and Protestants broke off out of the Catholic Church. That happened. But there has been a group of Bible believers that have been underground, that have been going alongside as a separate thread from the Catholic Church the entire time. So how do you know who they are? They're the people that were against the Catholic Church the entire time. People who were against baptismal re regeneration and against uh, works for salvation and against selling of indulgences and all these things before Martin Luther ever even got an idea. It's, a, it's amazing that Martin Luther got that idea. It's a blessing. Thank God for the Reformation and all that stuff. Hey, but it's more like, hey, join us. We've known this was a problem all along. <laughs> I say we. It's easy looking back and saying we, right? Um, but... That's one, of those, that's one of those things where we have to be clear that we are not part of a Protestant movement. We are part of a Bible-believing movement that can trace our roots all the way back to the very beginning. Okay? Um, so Philadelphia comes next. And in Philadelphia, uh, chapter 3, verse 7, it says, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David. Um, look at verse 8. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. Open door always has to do with preaching. Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. Um, and there's an open door. Pray that God will give us an open door. Um, even though he was in a prison, he said, give us an open door that no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word. This Philadelphian church period, this is the time where we get a little thing called the King James Bible. One, that, that date right there, that is right in the heart of Philadelphia. You say, why do we like the King James Bible instead of the NIV? I like a book in, from the Philadelphian church age and not from the Laodicean church age. I want a book from, six, from the 1600s, not from the 1900s. Because the 1600s is where they were keeping his word. 
And then 1900s is where they were like, let's mix in a little of this, and let's mix in a little of this, and let's mix in a little of this. And what do you get? You get a NIV, which is it's just lukewarm. Doc used to say it's like shaving with a banana. When you read, it, and I, read in the NIV, to get something spiritual, it's like shaving with a banana. Two different guys during the Jubilee said, it, said before they got the King James, they read the NIV, and they said it was like reading a newspaper. Yeah. Do you hear? Two different people said it read to me like a newspaper. Man, what a, what a blessing that they see that. What a blessing that they, that they saw that. So anyway, the Reformation hits in the um, 1600s. The King James Bible lands in this world like an atomic bomb. One of the guys in, at the Jubilee made a statement that I've never heard before, didn't realize. Um, he said the very first Bible, or the very first ever printed, was the very first book ever printed was the, the still to this day the best-selling book that's ever been printed. That's an amazing thing. It could have been, you know, Mary Had a Little Lamb. It was the King James Bible, the very first book that came off the Gutenberg Press, and then to this day, it is still the best-selling book that's ever been made. God used this book like no other book that's ever been printed before. You say, how do we know that the King James Bible is God's word? The same way that Colossians knew that when they got the letter from Paul, they heard it and the Holy Spirit said, every single word is right. The same way. So how do you know? Holy Spirit of God confirms it in your heart. You don't need to know the Greek. You don't need to know the, the lineage. You don't need to know manuscript evidence. You don't need to know any of that stuff. All you need to do is have a pure heart and open this Bible and say, God, speak to me. He will speak to you from every single word. Every single word. And when this King James Bible landed on earth, it spread revival across the entire planet. Missions across the entire planet. People say just revivals everywhere. The first great awakening in the West. The second great awakening in the West. All of these different, just, just everywhere. And then, Laodicea. <laughs> Laodicea. Um, that's the last one in, in chapter 3, verse number 14. The, unto, the church of the angel of, uh, unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Interesting that, that the beginning of the creation of God is just like Colossians 1.16. Just like Colossians 1.16. So remember that, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with thy salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. When you read that, does the Holy Spirit just stir your heart? Does, does he stir your heart in a way and like convict you in a way that the other six churches is not quite the same? You know what I mean? You read the other ones and you're like, the doctrine of Balaam, what is that? If you were around then, you would have known exactly what he was talking about. The Nicolaitans, you have the Nicolaitans, what is that? You would have known exactly what that, what that was in the Council of Nicaea in 320-something A.D. 
it would have, but we're in Laodicea. So when we read this, this passage of Laodicea, the Holy Spirit just says, it's like, like one of those heat lamps on you. Isn't that amazing? How the Holy Spirit works like that? So we, we look at this and say, it's very obvious when you look back through history that these things represent these waves of different churches rolling through time. And we get to chapter 3, verse 20, where the very last church is lukewarm and Jesus Christ stands outside, knocking. Outside the church. Knocking to get in the church. May the Lord Jesus Christ never be outside of our church. That is, now we, you say, well, does that mean we have to... What, what it means is that we as a church have got to come out from among them. We have got to be a different kind of church. You say, Brother Sam, why do we have to be so different from, from all the other churches? This is why, folks. This is why. The church age that we're living in is not good. It is not good. We cannot let ourselves fall into that mix. We cannot let ourselves become those people. We cannot let ourselves become those places. It's not because we're special. We have every single, every single inkling in us the same nature that everybody else does. We can become just like every other church if we don't, if we're not zealous and repent and continuously zealous um, and careful of these things. Got to be very careful. So, with that in mind, I'm going to take the, the last uh, few minutes here. I've got about 20 minutes. It's 740. Let's look back at Colossians. Because in Colossians, are you still with me? In Colossians, at the end, he says, have the book of, Coloss- of this book of Colossians to be read of those at Laodicea and have the one at Laodicea to be read of the book of Colossians. So, it's interesting to me that we can read through Colossians and say, is it so that there are some really specific things in Colossians that are unique to our church in Laodicea that we have to be careful of. I'll say that again. Is it so that we as Laodicean Christians can learn something unique from the book of Colossians? Because it was written and said, you know, this is for the people that lived in Laodicea. Does that make sense? Look at just a few things. I want to just highlight a few things that are very unique to the book of Colossians that you're really not going to see um, emphasized so strongly in other books. Look at chapter 2, verse number 8. Chapter 2, verse 8 is a very unique verse in Colossians. You're not going to find it in other books. He mentions philosophy. He says, beware. Could we get a little bit of air in here? I don't know if it's just, is it about to come on? (laughs) Um, All right. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So we are warned in Laodicea to be careful of philosophy, of tradition, of the rudiments of the world. What in the world? So I, now I know a lot of you are going to say here, Brother Sam, I can't stand philosophy. No one listens to philosophy. No one even reads anymore, much less reads philosophy. However, we have in our church age, in this time period, some of the most aggressive philosophical ideas that have ever been pushed on any mass group of people, and that is through music. Through music. Now, if you think about it, there has never been a time on the face of this earth where one person can write a song and have it spread across the entire world. That's where we're living today. 
And what the devil has done is he has taken modern music and put worldly philosophy into that music and put it in the ears of our kids. And so two minutes at a time, three minutes at a time, four minutes at a time, we are getting, the kids are getting uh, philosophy pumped into their ears, worldly philosophy pumped into their ears. Uh, materialism is a worldly philosophy. That, is, that says that accumulating possessions is the key to happiness. That is, a, that is think about all the songs that are all about uh, money, 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 money. Get, get, you know, this and that, give me this and give me that and give me this and give me that. And every, every video where the guys are, they've got beautiful cars and beautiful women and beautiful houses and all that stuff. This is a problem. This is a worldly philosophy that is being pumped into through music. No, it's not like philosophy class with an old dude, and a, you know, a marble bust a, from a Greek philosopher and you should know. No, it's not. That's not how the devil ever works. He never uses some dusty old guy that no one's interested in listening to. He uses Taylor Swift. He uses, I don't know the, all the people's names. <laughs> I'm, I'm officially old. Um, I used to be able to keep up with it a little bit to preach about it as a teenager. I'm officially at the age where I just don't know that many of them anymore. And, but he, that's who he uses. He uses the modern pop singers to put this in your heads. Um, hedonism is a philosophical uh, idea that says that self-indulgence is the most important thing in life. All about me, all about get what you can get, get it when you can get it, enjoy the pleasures of life. All the songs are about, about pleasure. And those of you who are still listening to country music, let me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit this for a little while. We're in the South. I'm going to hit country music for a little while. You know, I scrolled through a playlist on Apple Music of like modern country hits, and like every fourth song was about beer. It was like, you know, this drinking down here, and this at the bar over here, and this on the weekends with my friends in the pickup truck drinking and partying. Hedonism. That is hedonism. That is a worldly philosophy. That we are letting our kids listen to because, oh, he's a good old boy. He's not a good old boy. He's a whatever the opposite of a good old boy is. Bad old man. He's, he's, a, he's a bad dude. We've got to stop listening to this stuff. got to go ahead and turn it off and say, and say it's, not, it's not innocent. It's not a no, no big deal. It's a big deal. Look over at Colossians chapter 3. He even mentions this. Colossians chapter 3, look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. How? In sermons? In how? Songs teach you things. So he says specifically, watch your music because you are learning from it. If you're a musician in this church, don't get up here and sing a song because it tickled your flesh. Because it made the hair stand up. You, it's your job to teach us when you sing. Better make sure that you're teaching what Christ, you teach the rudiments of Jesus Christ and not the rudiments of the world. Amen. Have a great responsibility if you sing in this church. That's one of the reasons why you know, preachers like we're singing great hymns of the faith. Tried and true. We're not putting a bouncing ball on the thing because we don't know what they're going to slide in there. We don't know what kind of wickedness they can slide in there. We don't know what kind of 
false doctrine they can slide in there. We don't know what kind of bad philosophy they can slide in there. You've got to be careful of this stuff. You say, well, Brother Sam, what about the modern Christian music? It's part of the reason we sing hymns is because they were written in Philadelphia. Amen. Amen. You say, man, you are just really bad on Laodicea. Yeah! yeah. I have a problem with modern Christianity. Amen. What's the problem? It's lukewarm. It's, a, it's, it's bad. It's evil. So kids, I'm sorry. It's, it's, I'm, I'm sorry that like, the modern music is evil. If you lived in Philadelphia, the modern music would have been good. <laughs> Fanny Crosby was like CCM back then. <laughs> Fanny Crosby was like top playlist on Apple, whatever you call it back then. That's not the case anymore. So we've got to be careful. So we've got to put a stake in the ground and say, we're not going any further than this. This was the right place. This was the right stuff. These are the right songs. These are the right lyrics. This is the right words. This is the right message. This is the right spiritual music. And we're going to be very careful of stuff that was put out after that. Brother Sam, are you saying anything written after 1901 is evil? No, I'm not saying anything written after 1901. I'm saying 99% of what was written after 1901 was evil. The McCaneys are pretty good. It's the only one I can think of. <sighs> Even they're charismatic. You've got to be careful of them. Um, sorry. You've got to be careful. You've got to be careful because you'll learn worldly philosophies. Nihilism. Nihilism is a philosophy that says that life has no meaning or purpose beyond what you decide. And there are all kinds of songs about life having no, you know, you decide what your meaning is. You decide what your purpose is. You decide what it is. Because life has no meaning besides what you... I'll, 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 kids, I'll, I'll give you a, a, a statement. Tell me if you've heard this, something like this message in a song. Life is what you make it. Um, follow your heart. That's every other song. You know? I was, uh, I was, I was holding back, and people were holding me back. And they were trying to tell me what to do and they were trying to define what was good and what was bad and what was true and what was wrong. But I just had to just break out into my own thing and do my own thing because life is what I make it and I define my own truth. That's a lot of music. That's a lot of music. Um, gotta be careful. That's, not, that's unbiblical. Uh, the Bible says that um, uh, life does have meaning and it has nothing to do with what we make of it. That's what the Bible says that it is. Uh, moral relativism says that there are no universal truths. Right and wrong just depends on personal beliefs. Hey, that's true for you. How many of y'all have been street preaching before and somebody says, I'm glad that works for you? That's not true for me. That's true for you. Um, that is a modern philosophy. Completely unbiblical. So philosophies um, is a very, it's a very Laodicean issue that we have to watch out for and be warned of um, today. And I would say, watch your music, folks. Watch your music. Um, you got to be careful of it because it'll creep in. All of a sudden, you'll be sitting in church going, ah, I don't know if that's true or not. And you'll, know, and you'll say, why am, I, why am I wondering if that's true or not? It's Bible. Why, where did I get that from? Got it from your playlist. Got it from the radio. You got it because it's been seeping into your brain little by little and like, like a Trojan horse. It's this beautiful thing that sounds great. It makes you feel really good and it's just, okay, I'll move on. Chapter 3, 
Look at verse 1. So uh, worldly philosophies, traditions, rudiments of the world in chapter, two, chapter 3, verse 1. The Laodicean church has a problem seeking worldly things. See verse 1 and 2? Read verse 1 and 2 there. The Laodicean church has a problem seeking worldly things. Um, it, remember in, over in Revelation 3 it said, you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. There's a worldliness to the modern church. There's a love of the world in the modern church. There's, they've lost their heavenly, heavenly vision in the modern church. They've got their eyes so much on this world and on the things of this world that they've forgot that there's an eternity. They forgot that, there is, uh, that people are lost and going to hell. They forgot that we're on a mission field. They forgot that, that these... I was... Well, I'll just... I'll keep, I'll keep moving here. Uh, look at 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. And in the last days, it says, which is you know, right what we're talking about here, these last days, it says that, uh, verse number 3, there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. So one of the problems of these last days is that the church is going to forget that Jesus Christ is coming back. The church is going to forget that there is an eternity. The church is going to start focusing on the here and now, focusing on what we can do down here and focusing on on life down here. So you see all these things about financial seminars and all these, all these things that come to church and, you know, Dr. Dobson stuff. And like one of the preachers said, you know, we come to the church for how to parent your kids and how to get your finances done and how to have your marriage. And it's all like down here, down here, down here, down here, down here. And when's the last time you heard one of these modern preachers preach about the second coming of Jesus Christ? They're not concerned about that. They're concerned about psychology. You know, how, oh, you know, you're, 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 you're depressed, you're anxious, your, your brain's messed up, and here's how to get your anxiety taken care of. And all. This is worldly stuff, guys. It's worldly stuff. We're supposed to be listening to, we're supposed to be talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. Heavenly things, not these worldly things. Um, all right, so look at, look at uh, chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2. The... So the Christian church, the Laodicean church, has got issues with philosophy, with tradition, issues with seeking worldly things, losing their heavenly vision. Um, it's a good thing every once in a while to, to test yourself and ask yourself. It's a good thing every once in a while just to dig deep and give away something that you didn't want to give away. It's a good thing, it's a good thing every once in a while to... Say, Lord, search my heart and see if I'm content and happy and settled in my uh, job, settled in my house, settled in where I am, settled in my bank account. And, and what if God asked you to give all of it away? What if he asked you to clear the whole thing out, sell the whole thing, go to a mission field? That's a, that's a good test to put on yourself in Laodicea. Because it's real easy to get real interested in all kinds of other things, and have your giving drop off a cliff, and have your uh, willingness to go and, and do something for Jesus Christ drop off a cliff because, because man, you're focused on making more money. Amen. Chapter 2, verse 4, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. 
And he goes through here, all of chapter two, he's talking about people that are, that have these kind of tricksters with their speech. They have these fancy ideas. They're speakers. They've got all these fancy things. And I've never been, there's never been a time in the church where you could hear more preachers than, than today. I mean, think about it. A hundred years ago, 200 years ago, you had one preacher. If you were lucky, you had one preacher. I say lucky. That's a figure of speech. If you were fortunate, the Lord gave you a preacher, you, you had a, it was a blessing, right? Maybe you were in a church where you had a circuit riding preacher. You're out in the country and he came by once a month. And now you scroll through sermon audio and it's like, do I want to hear him today or him today or him today or him today or him today? We've got to be careful of that stuff. Because God did not make this thing to where we're supposed to be picking and choosing our own preachers. Oh, I, li- I really like the way he puts this across. And I really like the way he puts this across. And, oh, he's my favorite preacher. And I really don't like listening to him. And, oh, the Jubilee is coming up. I wish preacher would put a schedule out so I could see who was preaching. So I could come on the days I want to come. And this, eh, I'm not really. Right? You've got to be very careful of that. I'm cognizant of the fact that y'all came on a Wednesday night when your new preacher was going to be out of town and you're here listening to somebody else besides preacher. That's a blessing to me. Amen. And I hope we don't get to a point where it's like, oh, preacher's going to be out of town. It's just Brother Sam. Let's just go because he's not as good as preacher. I know I'm not as good a preacher as preacher is. I know this. <laughs> I mean, I'm very, very aware of this. <laughs> you know what? There's no preacher like our preacher. Amen. And if you only listen to our preacher because he's just the best preacher and he's the only one you listen to, guess what? You're just going to have some trouble. Yeah. Amen. Have some trouble. Because maybe God's going to use a, a kid, another kid, someone who's more kind of boring. Someone who's not as, uh, doesn't, I don't know. You know what I mean? <laughs> You've got to be careful to listen to the preacher that God wants you to listen to. And what God does is he puts you to church and he says, here's the message and here it is on Sunday, and it's kind of boring. You know, here's it is on Wednesday, and it's kind of boring. And it's like meat and potatoes, you know? And it's like, man, I just, I'm just getting fed the same thing and fed, get fed the same thing over and over again. And can't I just go and find something a little more exciting? You'd be careful going to find something a little more exciting. That's how, the, that's how the devil works, to put something in there that sounds really good that is just not true. There are a lot of... Instagram preachers and TikTok preachers out there that are just exciting because they edited down 15 seconds of a message. They're like, man, that's really exciting. You look at it and go, but it's not true. Uh, Judah was saying, just telling me today, he was like, man, he asked me, he said, dad, he asked me a question about revelation. I'm like, where did you get that from? He said, well, there was a kid in my class who said he learned it from his, one of his favorite preachers. So he was one of his favorite. He said, well, it's a guy on TikTok. Does he go to church? No, he didn't go to church. He gets all of his Bible learning from TikTok. Welcome to Laodicea. Like him, like him, don't like him, don't like him, don't like him, like him. Show me more of that. Show me less of that. Show me more of that. Show me less of that. That's trouble, folks. That's trouble. I hope that we don't get into that situation ourselves here. I hope that you don't get in that situation. Tricked. Um, how do you think all these college students got into that anti-Semitism? How do you think all those college students got into that stuff recently? They were listening to people beguiling words. Oh yeah, Israel—they're so—they're so bad. You know, so bad to the Palestinians. They—they treated them so terribly. You know, look look at how look, they're, look at how they've treated them. They're colonizers. They're this and they're that. Listen to this stuff that sounds good. 
listen, go ahead and listen to this stuff for a long time. You will start to agree with it because that's how we are. Our brain just starts to click into place to what we're listening to. You have to be aware of those things. Look at uh, chapter 3. Beware of being tricked by these preachers with these fancy words, fancy ideas. Chapter 3, verse 13 through 15. This whole chapter here is talking about this, uh, what, what he bears down on in verse 13. Forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. The bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which you are also called in one body. And be thankful. Um, the church of Laodicea is marked by division and divisiveness. It's marked by divisiveness. It's marked by there's a church on this corner and that corner and this corner and that corner and this corner and that corner. And they all believe kind of the same things. And they're all just a little different. But this one has yellow uh, lights in the foyer and this one has white lights in the foyer and this one has red carpet and this one has green carpet. You say, Brother Sam, are we supposed to divide over doctrine? 100%. But the problem is we get to a point where we start dividing over cultural issues and over preference issues. We start dividing because you are a Gator fan and another person is a Bulldog fan. That's a joke, but... Uh, but Okay, I'll give you one. Homeschooling versus public schooling. And we believe a million things about the Bible. Can we just all get along about homeschooling versus public schooling? Because it's not in the Bible. I, you know what? The problem is we all have strong beliefs about it. That's fine. Keep your strong belief to yourself. You know? I mean, really. Really. Let's keep our strong beliefs and, and not let it divide us because otherwise we're going to just divide and divide and divide and splinter and splinter and sawdust and... And that's what's going to happen to the church if we let our preferences over uh, city folks versus country folks. I just don't like him because he drives a pickup truck, and I think those country boys driving pickup trucks are just... I don't like him because he drives an electric car. <laughs> I just don't trust them guys who are driving electric cars. I believe everything you believe. Please don't divide with me over driving an electric car versus a pickup truck. Please. 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 I didn't grow up in the country. I grew up, I grew up in the city. I grew up playing baseball in the street. I, you know, I'll see those, those movies about the, you know, the field of dreams and out in the country. I'm like, that looks really cool. I can understand why country folks think that that is the only way to live. But I grew up where you had to, every time a car came by, you had to clear off the baseball field. You know? And I, I grew up on Southside Boulevard. There were pawn shops around the outside. There weren't cows. They were like, you know, criminals. <laughs> and I, I grew up riding my bike on pavement, not riding horses. I'm just, I'm just different like that. We, ought not, we, ought, we still ought to be able to get along. We still ought to be able to get together in one, in one body and say, we're going we're gonna to have unity. You say, well, Brother Sam, how do we know when to divide? Division is a sin. Okay, wrong division, the wrong type, divisiveness, let me put it that way, divisiveness is a sin. 
Dividing with someone over a bad doctrine is the right thing to do. So you have to ask yourself, you say, how do I know when the, what the line is? Is the doctrine, there's kind of priority doctrines, right? There's priority doctrines. There's doctrines that are more important eternally than other doctrines. That's true. So you notice, notice what I'm every single doctrine is the same importance. That's not true. That's absolutely 100%. It's just not true. Um, we are starkly, three, you know, three and a half year tribulation here. We believe the tribulation is three and a half years. Um, some folks believe it's seven years. Do you know who some of those folks are? Dr. Ruttman. Sure. Believed it was seven years to the last few years of his life. And he was like, well, maybe it's three and a half. Now, do you think he ever said, well, maybe the virgin birth is right? Do you think he ever said, well, maybe faith plus, you know, plus nothing plus, you know, by grace is right? He never said that. It's foundation. We're not moving on that. Sure. Whether the tribulation is three and a half or seven years is not as priority as that. So let me put this. The idea of dividing from someone else is a biblical doctrine. And unity is a biblical doctrine. Among brethren, I just read it to you, is a biblical doctrine. Is the doctrine that you're considering dividing over more or less of a priority than the doctrine of unity? We need to place unity back on the priority list and say, is this doctrine more or less important than the doctrine of unity? There are a lot of them that are uh, more important, and you've got to divide over it. There's a lot of them that are less important. And we are sinning by throwing out unity for something less important. That's an that's a easy way to look at it. It's an easy way to look at it. Now, if you don't believe that, please don't divide with me over it. Because <laughs> it's not as important as us just sticking together. Does that make sense? Division in the Laodicean church age is going to be a serious problem. It's going to continue to be a serious problem. When the Son of Man cometh, will we find faith on the earth? Practical differences. Uh, you know, Mac versus PC. Mainstream medicine versus uh, uh, homeopathy. Do you vax? Do you anti-vax? Are you a Democrat or you a Republican? Bless God, that's in the Bible. No, it's not. <laughs> a lot of the stuff they believe is, is in there. I understand that part. Um, look at, uh, let's, let's, wrap, let's wrap this up here. Look at... The main theme of this chapter of this of this book is in Colossians chapter one, verse eighteen. Colossians one verse eighteen. He is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Do you remember that passage over in in Revelation where I said, uh, "Look at this thing about the creation." For verse sixteen, for by him all things that were created, and uh, all, from the beginning, the beginning of the creation of God. And verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Um, if you're a young Christian here, this book is written for you. If you're a Laodicean Christian, this book is written for you. Our main theme that we have to think about when we read this book and as we summarize and as we close up the study of this book is that Jesus Christ needs to have the preeminence more than all of these other things, more than these things that are pulling us away. 
Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ needs to have the preeminence. You say, how do we do this? The main response, the main theme of our life is the preeminence of Jesus Christ. The main response, how do we do this? If I had to ask you, if I, if I asked you a question, what do you think the main action that Paul gives to the people of Colossae was? What do you think the main thing that Paul told them to do? The main response, the main responsibility, the practical application of the book of Colossians. With all of this stuff in mind, what is the main thing that we in Laodicea can do in order to make sure that we don't fall into all these traps? Do you know what it is? What's, keep God first? It's, it's, tough, it's tough to do practically, right? How do, you, how do you do that? Yes, how do you do that? What do you, what do you have? What do you, what do you, what? Charity? Stay in the Word? What else? Stay in the Bible? What else? What's that? Praying? Everyone's wrong. <laughs> Keep your eyes on the judgment seat of Christ? That's a good one. That's not it. (laughs) Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number 12. Giving thanks unto the Father. Chapter 2, verse 7. Rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, faith as He had been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Look at chapter 3, verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which you are also called in one body, and be ye thankful. It's such a little hidden part of it that we just look right over it. Verse number 17, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Chapter 4, verse 2, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. More than any other practical piece of advice or piece of command that Paul gives them. He says, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. Why be thankful? Because when you're thankful, it helps us with the division problem. It helps us focus on the things that we do have, not the things that we have different and separating us. When you're thankful, it helps with the fancy speaker problem because you're thankful for the truth that you're getting. Thank God for the truth we get. Thank God for the preacher we have. I don't need to go somewhere else because I'm discontented with the preaching God's given us. Um, thankfulness encourages contentment. So if we're having problems seeing a heavenly vision instead of a worldly vision, being thankful for what God's given us helps us to be content with what we have and not want more and more and more. It helps us with that seeking worldly things. It helps with philosophies because thankfulness helps us focus on what's important. Thank God for teaching us this truth. Thank God for teaching us this, for teaching us this, for teaching us this, instead of going out and finding some other way to live our life. Thankfulness is the key to how we make God first, how we keep our eyes on the judgment seat of Christ. It's the key to our prayer. It's the key to this time in Laodicea. Believe it or not, folks, it's what Paul says over and over again here is, Be thankful. Be thankful.